Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Happy Thanksgiving to our listeners. A little late here in Singapore, nevertheless heartfelt. Joining me now as we break down all the market action. Happy Friday, Ryan. Happy Friday. It's also Black Friday. Hey! <laughs> Anything on shopping list? Ah, uh, yes. Yes. Infrared therapy. What? What was that like? Red light therapy is everything, Ryan. Keeps you young. Oh, so that's your secret. That's it. That's oh, it. I see. Uh, I've already gotten started, so I was up at midnight. Really? Just cutting out, so I've gotten a vacuum cleaner. Yes! <laughs> um, I'm going to look for more deals. Of course, Black Friday, you've got lots happening on e-commerce fronts. You know, all the bargains and discounts and coupons. Oh, thank you for the reminder. I forgot that of today's course, the day to the shop. A good time to get your Christmas shopping done. Ex- well, it depends on whether it can get here on time. Mm-hmm. Right, but thank you for the reminder. All right, everybody. Apart from shopping, everybody's talking about OpenAI. This whole week, we've been tracking the story of OpenAI, the company behind that artificial chatbot, ChatGPT. A week ago, Sam Altman was ousted from his role as OpenAI CEO by the company's board. There have been three CEOs leading OpenAI over the past week, but now Altman is back, and most of the former board members are out. Be careful what you wish for when you're a board member because your worst dream might come true. This is the stuff of Netflix drama. So Altman is back, but questions remain why he was fired in the first place. What do we know now, Ryan? Yeah, I'm sure those folks are not getting any Christmas cards from (laughs) Sam Altman. Well, as you pointed out, not a lot of info to go on. So there is a lot of speculation about what's happening. So one of the leading theories is the difference in appetite for how much pace development should be going for AI products, commercialization, and so on. So it's that ongoing tension between non-profit and for-profit, right? And this is where Sam Altman is on the side of moving things faster. And he had a recent conference where he came out to say, hey, guys, we've got ChatGPT products available for everyone to use. Everyone can make their own products on top of that. So that supposedly was a point of concern for the old board members. And they wanted a slower pace because of the potential risks where AI, we've already seen how it can be used for the wrong reasons, mm. deep fakes, um, malicious tweets and all the sort of bad stuff that can happen when technology goes in the wrong hands. So that's the tensions that played out. But of course, you need to run things as a business most most of the time. So that's where you are right now. And a lot of the employees were on Sam Altman's side. Nearly the entire company signed a petition for him to return and for the board to go. So that's what we have right now. The majority wins. Sam, Sam Altman is back. And if you look at the board makeup, there are three names now. One of them leading the board is Brad Taylor, mm-hmm. the co-CEO, rather the former co-CEO of Salesforce. Mm. So he's got a bit of a tech background. Mm-hmm. Then you get a finance background from Larry Summers. So this is the former Treasury Secretary. So he's not just financially savvy. He's also got the political connections. Mm-hmm. So a very useful guy to have on the board. And you have the third guy. He's actually a survivor from the old board. And this is the CEO of Quora. So he is sticking around and he is Adam D'Angelo. 
And he's got, of course, a tech background. He's also someone who's been on the um, board of other tech companies. And he's also developing his own AI chat platform called Poe at Quora. So he's got a bit of uh, AI, I guess, uh, domain expertise as well. So the question is, what's next? And quite likely, the board will be expanded. And that's where we might get more names, likely a seat for Microsoft. And also more expertise from different domains. Uh, Sam Ormans mentioned before he wants a bigger board and perhaps more diversity as well. So a couple of interesting names from the female side. And in the mix, we've got some names being thrown into the hat and they include the likes of former CEO of Yahoo, Marissa Mayer. Mm. Also, the widow of Steve Jobs, Laureen Powell Jobs. She's now a billionaire philanthropist. You also have former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice. A lot of big names, but ultimately nothing happening or materializing yet. Excuse me, yet. Mm-hmm. So all these um, discussions are still underway. Yeah, this new board is going to have to manage new expectations. Stakeholders are going to expect uh, this board to communicate with them differently, I think. And this board is also going to have to manage changing expectations around how do you manage the balance between protecting the public and the company's clear business imperatives moving ahead. Now, we've talked a little bit about this, but what do you make of this whole saga and what this means for the future of AI? Yeah, this really brings out a lot of big questions. What is the pace of AI development we should all be comfortable with? Should regulators come out forth at a faster pace? No, because for many cases, we've seen how regulations have been trying to play catch up with technology. And with AI, perhaps they need to step up the pace and form the rules before uh, these things happen. So that's what Many parts of um, Europe are now discussing you know, whether they need more guardrails in place before you know, things spin off control. So that's one big area of focus. And I suppose for many of the companies, they'd be trying to get hold of more talent. So I'm sure um, these AI expert- experts will be in hot demand. So there's going to be a lot of discussions. And I think uh, this space is likely to see more sequels in terms of dramas playing out. <laughs> more sequels. I like the sound of that. Uh, more chats here for sure about uh, OpenAI's fate as we move forward. Let's turn to China now, though. I want to look at China because the shares of troubled property developer Country Garden surged nearly 25% in Hong Kong trade yesterday. Country Garden's business is still struggling, though. In October, it posted its biggest drop in sales and in at least six years. So what exactly is behind this renewed bullish interest in Country Garden's shares? Yeah. It hasn't materially changed anything yet, but already investors are pricing it in. And that's the news that China is stepping up to support some of these um, property developers. Mm-mm. So Country Gardens, alongside many other developers, is a list of 50 of them, are eligible for a range of financing support. So that's according to people familiar with the matter. So no official announcement yet, but already you can tell investors are a bit optimistic and pricing it in. So that is an important, I guess, point to take into context that for quite some time, the regulators have been trying to be a bit more hands-off to let market forces dictate what happens to the so-called weaker guys in the business. Mm. So they should be weeded out because that apparently is 
healthy for the ecosystem. But now they are getting more concerned, so much so that they are now taking a more proactive, hands-on approach to support them more actively. So a couple of things are playing out here. Um, so you've got the reports about how banks are now being encouraged to give them unsecured short-term loans. So unsecured, meaning previously you had to put up collateral. You had to be good for your money somehow. But now unsecured. So that's the point where we are right now, a bit of a pivot for regulators. Wow. The scope of funding though and the long-term implications for what China is looking to how China is uh, attempting to guide financial institutions to support pr- the property industry. Still unclear. Country Garden, by the way, not the only Chinese developer to really benefit from reports of new government supports. Sci-Fi, C-I-F-I holdings, surge 48% and the Sino-Ocean Group jumped more than 30%. All right, let's bring the conversation to Singapore now, where nanofilm technologies is attracting a lot of interest from investors, not in the best ways, though. This stock is now one of the most shorted in Singapore. Now, recall that when investors short a stock, they make money when the share price drops. Do we know why nanofilm is attracting this bearish interest? Yeah, it does look like there isn't a lot of good news going for nanofilm these days. And you just have to look at the latest business update for its third quarter. Mm. So if you look at it, um, you've got Nanofilm's group revenue for the nine months ended September coming in at $128 million. That is a decline of 29% and it hit only 68% of consensus estimates. So not a good look for Nanofilm's. And it did not reveal its net profit for the third quarter. So it leaves investors guessing some uncertainty there. Uh, Okay, bottom line going forwards is going to be a bit of a question mark because they have flagged that consumer electronics products, the demand for it is likely to remain muted. And already for the first half, Nanofilm made a net loss of $7.6 million. So this is actually swinging into the red from last year when he had earnings of $18.8 million. So in terms of momentum, Mm. there are, I guess, some negative weak spots to be mindful of and investors are selling first and asking questions later. Yeah, companies' share price has been under significant pressure this year. Nanofilm is the third most shorted stock in Singapore behind AEM Holdings and Singapore Airlines. This is according to the latest data from S&P Global Market Intelligence. Corporate news is get on the up or down pivot, Ryan. And let's start with CDL, that city developments. I see their sales are up. Yeah, sales are up. So mm-hmm. good news for CDL. And this is around the project MIST. So it is making $325 million in the third quarter thanks to that launch. So this is around 183 units bringing in that price of $325 million. That's up from $281 million a year ago. So it's sold 183, up from 95 units last year. So mm. all in... Pretty good quarter, but a bit of caution going forwards because uh, it expects private home sales to be measured as the market takes what they describe as a temporary breather 
to digest a slew of new launches in July. Meanwhile, the mist powering a CDL's, I suppose, good good news day today. That's a 408 residential development there along Upper Bukit Timah PSF. Let's see, average PSF $2,065. So the high end of things. Yeah, and 94% of buyers Singapore citizens. Interesting. So CDL sales up. They sold 183 units in the last quarter. That's nearly twice as many as a year earlier, by the way. How's Apple looking this morning? Not looking too good if you go by the headlines we have. Mm. And this is where we've got China in focus. The latest Singles Day shopping festival, Apple did not do well. They saw a decline in the number of smartphones sold during that period versus, in contrast, the Chinese brands. So the likes of Huawei. And Xiaomi saw strong demand. So Apple was down 4% year-on-year. If you just look at the two-week sales from October 30th to November 12th. Mm. But in comparison, Xiaomi was up 28%. Huawei was up 66%. Wow. So I suppose you could put it down to a couple of things. One is perhaps Chinese consumers are more patriotic. Perhaps that's one reason with all the US-China tensions going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Huawei also has been coming up with new models, foldable smartphones, more f- um, faster smartphones as well, the new chips. So a lot going for it. Also a signal of a turnaround after a tough few years with the US sanctions. Yeah, so um, it's interesting, isn't it? It's a new data point. China's Singles Day, the shopping festival. Apple just not doing as well as Huawei and Xiaomi in terms of... Number of smartphones sold. Okay, let's look at interest rates in Turkey. It might seem like an odd topic for up or down, but hold on. All will be clear in moments. I am going with down because it's a tough, (laughs) I guess, situation for Turkey to be in. Um, We are talking about interest rates by the central bank. Mm -mm. They have raised it by 500 basis points. (laughs) To 40%. So that's about 5%. So that makes it 40%. So you've got the situation in the backdrop. Inflation at a crazy pace. Mm. We're talking about inflation of 61% in October. So just for context, in most places, it's in single digits. And in Singapore, it's in the low single digits. So 61%, can you imagine, is almost a different world. If you look at the price tags at a shopping mall or a supermarket, it's crazy how... They have a tough time. Plus, the lira is falling and you've got high inflation. So they need higher rates to fight inflation. And it's going to be a tough uphill battle. Turkey's bank trying to get ahead of... uh expectations serious in their fight for inflation look at that 40 percent that's a completely different well you thought interest rates here were high well just think about turkey well ryan enjoy your weekend ahead you too happy black friday shopping keep shopping people keep shopping before acting on the information on money fm please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives financial situation and risk tolerance To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.